This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 421, November the 14th, 1998. This evening, Mark Rushdoony, Andrew Sandlin, and I have the pleasure of having with us Quentin Johnston, originally of Edinburgh, Scotland, who currently is the pastor-in-chief of the Church of Christian Liberty in Arlington Heights, uh, Chicago. He works there together with uh, Paul Lindstrom, who heads up the educational activities, the homeschool division with how many thousands now? Uh, Rush, we probably have around about 25,000 uh, active homeschool families. 25,000. And uh, also the Christian Day School, which has 850, I believe. Just about. We're very happy to have you with us, Quentin. I have enjoyed our association over the years. You were part go to going to the Church of Christian Liberty, a Chalcedon staff member. And uh, we're very proud of what you are accomplishing now. Tonight, I'd like to ask you about, first of all, the religious scene in Great Britain, starting with Scotland, then going on to uh, Great uh, uh, England and Wales, and then possibly, if we have time, looking at the scene here. You've been a very astute observer of the scene for a number of years and have had close contact with the major uh, men and movements. We hear a great deal today about the decline of Christianity the world over. Most dramatically, outside of the United States, where it is still very real. In Britain, the decline has been particularly dramatic. In the last century, up to World War I, the main source of missionary activities in the entire world was Britain, England and Scotland in particular. The United States was an excellent second. Now that effort has faded dramatically. The English spectator has spoken of England as the least Christian, or rather the least religious country in the world. So that's making it much broader than merely Christian. And when you realize that a sizable percentage of the population there now is made up of Muslim immigrants, you realize how low the religious caliber and population of England is. And the English spectator has referred to England as the least 
Christian country in the world. It's a grim picture. Would you like to comment on it, uh, uh, Quentin, and afterwards, Andrew and Mark and I will uh, have the opportunity to ask questions of you. Well, Rush, uh, yes, I can make some general comments. First of all, uh, first of all, let's say I want to say a personal thank you to you. You have and Dorothy have been a tremendous influence in my life, of course. Uh, part of that influence I can trace to the time where we accidentally invited you to our church in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, we didn't know who we were getting, um, and in you coming, you changed my life in terms of your writings and what you've said. You were talking about the decline, and I can see that very clearly even in my own lifetime in Scotland. I was born in 1957, grew up in a Presbyterian church, St. Cuthbert's Parish Church, one of the oldest parish churches in Edinburgh. As I was going to church as a young boy, uh, the church would be filled Sunday morning and uh, at least two-thirds filled to a half-filled Sunday evening. Uh, the church sat about three and a half to 4,000 people. It was packed. Uh, we, our seats were always in the last seat at the back of the, uh, the balcony, and I would look down over the place, uh, always full. Uh, you couldn't get parking for a long way around. In fact, uh, there was a girls' boarding school that would bring their, their, their entire school would come in a number of double-decker buses and uh, come to church on a Sunday morning. I took my son there uh, on our last trip to uh, Scotland. We've, uh, be, we left Scotland six and a half years ago. Uh, last year I took him there. I thought it would be interesting for him to see the church I grew up in. We went to a church that had now 200 people, perhaps 250 people on a Sunday morning, where the minister, as he got up to, to uh, preach, of course he doesn't preach anymore, he simply uh, talks and shares with the people, uh, spoke about our mother God and described God as a God with breasts and so forth. Um, and uh, I turned to my wife and said, I'm not sure whether I should just leave or throw my hymn book at him and do a Jenny Geddes. Uh, I couldn't throw the whole pew, of course. I finally afterwards decided to stay and, and, and talk to him. It happened to have been a communion Sunday. Um, and uh, I, I asked him, uh, a, a number of, of questions about uh, practices and so forth. And the answers I got had all to do with uh, a humanistic perspective on life, um, on theology, and on the church. So when we talk about the decline, first of all, in religious, um, generally in religious uh, fervor, religious attendance, and so forth in Scotland, um, we have to put the blame fair and squarely to a large extent on the abandonment of the clergy of the gospel. My father once asked this man in my hearing, uh, his name's Tom Cuthel, and my father said to him, uh, Tom, you know, we've come a long way from the Westminster Confession, haven't we? And Tom shuffled and looked down at his feet and said to my father, well, yes, Norman, I, I suppose we have. And that ended the conversation. And so we think of the decline, I think of the decline in my own hometown of Scotland, the name of John Knox is uh, scorned, and we're in a sorry state. I have to say that it, 
we have to lay the, the blame at the feet of largely of the clergy and their abandonment of the gospel. How specifically has that happened, would you say, Quentin? Is it a failure to declare the gospel in its fullness, to substitute something for the gospel, not the right association between the law and the gospel, a combination of those, or what would you, what well, would you say? Neo-Orthodoxy, Barthianism, liberalism has grown up. Um, again, the minister that I grew up with, uh, by name of uh, Leonard Small, studied under Karl Barth in Switzerland. Um, of course, didn't believe that the Bible was the Word of God. Uh, it became the Word of God as we uh, read it and as something seemed to come to mind, as something seemed to be expressly brought to our attention. Um, and so you have this wholesale abandonment of the, um, the authority of Scripture, dealing with every aspect of life and thought. Secondly, of course, you have the, um, the embracing of uh, a very secular, uh, and we, perhaps we can talk about this another time, um, socialistic world and life view, um, a completely buying into uh, the government as a provider for the people. Um, which, of course, makes sense that where God no longer is one's provider, then you have to look to a new God. Um, but I think it starts with the abandonment of Scripture and goes from there. And I noticed when I was over there visiting, even the, the supposed most ardent conservatives basically were socialistic in their outlook. Uh, uh, is that is that a fair assessment of uh, even the conservatives are basically socialistic? Is that true? I mean, I think it is. Um, I've got a very interesting history and somewhat unique for somebody coming from the British Isles. Uh, my father was a staunch, staunch conservative. Um, he knew personally Margaret Thatcher and many of the other the top conservatives in Scotland. Um, my mother was a Fabian socialist. Uh, and I grew up really with uh, oscillating between these two points of view. Um, by the time I became a Christian, um, at the age of uh, 14, when I really uh, was convicted of my sin and uh, made a conscious decision to live my life in terms of the gospel, I was very much convinced of socialism as a, as a, as a, as a means of operation. Um, by the time I was uh, in church for a while, a lady gave me some books to read, and most of which I don't recall the names and titles of the time, but on communism, changed my whole view. From then on, I became a, a, an ardent critic of both the conservative and the labor parties. Unfortunately, most of the people I knew were very uncomfortable with that, because they really had bought into the welfare mentality of cradle-to-grave security. After the war, the beverage report became law, and um, a single-payer um, health care system was introduced. So the, the, the mother would have her child in hospital, um, and from then on, the, the state would take care of the, of the individual um, right up until the end, where they would go into um, a state-provided geriatric facility and, uh, and, and, and taken on from there. To even suggest there was a problem with this 
would raise the ire and anger of, of countless people, even fine, strong, otherwise conservative Christian people, or at least people you would think of would be conservative, um, would, would be stunned at the concept of not having, for instance, a welfare system. Um, would, would, be, would be appalled at, at the concept of, of uh, uh, incremental taxation being called theft, for instance. We would not be able to understand these things down to the very point where you have the a uh, number of years ago the uh, one of the denominations i think it was the free church of scotland uh, issuing reports roundly condemning margaret thatcher's policies which of course were by no means in terms of a biblical uh, politic if you will uh, were, were, were not very biblical um, were still very socialistic but they were they condemned her outright for even mildly suggesting that we might want to privatize uh, a few hospitals and by privatize a few hospitals that was just give the local administrators their own budgets to manage and uh, they, so we have this seeping into the very character of um, of the entire United Kingdom when I was there a few years ago I attended a little while the Church of Scotland's um, I don't know whether they were called the General Assembly or send the annual meeting the General Assembly I got the distinct impression that the denomination was basically liberal. Uh, Thomas Torrance, mm -hmm. I think, or doesn't he have a brother? Yes. One or both of them was, uh, was there and uh, speaking. Um, it seems to me that they've, they've just essentially apostatized. Is that a pretty fair analysis? Of yes, I can't speak too specifically about these two men. I, I've, I've not read much other than a few articles that they've written. Uh, but so so my, I'd want to address myself more generally and say yes. It is difficult to hear the gospel in its fullness being preached. Um, it's difficult to find somebody who can and is able to, on a long-term basis, remain in a pulpit long enough to be able to articulate the law and the gospel and its implications for every aspect of life and thought before he's run out of the pulpit. Uh, the vast majority of elders and members in the vast majority of Church of Scotland churches, uh, which is my principal experience. Again, I can't speak too much about the Free Church of Scotland. I, I don't have too much experience of that. But the vast majority in the Church of Scotland are not Christian men. Um, you speak the ministers now, are not. No, I'm speaking of the elders. The elders. That would be the the uh, the non-ordained mm -hmm. uh, elders. Um, they become elders by dint of their longevity within the, the church. Um, they become session clerk if you're an accountant. You become uh, and so on and so forth. And so, uh, it's very difficult for men to faithfully proclaim the gospel. Do you know how St. Giles is doing? Uh no, I don't. Um, unfortunately, St. Giles, of course, is where John Knox would preach. Um, and no, I, I am not aware of what's happening there. I've heard nothing good about it, um, which may be an indication that not a lot's good happening. The, the One of the main shining lights in the Church of Scotland right now is a church in Glasgow called St. George's West. Um, Sinclair Ferguson... Uh, I believe, formerly of uh, Westminster Seminary, the Scottish fellow, has gone over there to pastor that church. Uh, he's a fine man, uh, staunchly reformed. I 
um, and I believe will do will do a good job. It's a large church, well known for preaching the gospel, uh, well associated with the banner of truth, trust, and so forth. Um, but the Church of Scotland organization itself is such that, for instance, in, in America, where a church is doing well, typically uh, a new pastor will be called probably for every 150, 200 members. This is a church of 3,000 mem members where the Church of Scotland will not allow another man to come on board. So one man has to pastor this entire place. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's an impossible situation. The financial constraints that are put upon men and churches, uh, the, the Church of Scotland micromanages every aspect of, of life in, within its churches. Um, so coming back to St. Giles, uh, I have no good reports. Um, hmm. I wish I had. One of the churches I visited there was is it Holyrood Abbey. Mm -hmm. uh, it seemed to be a, a semblance of the gospel there. Is it basically an evangelical church? Or? Yes, has been for many years. Um, I forget the minister that was there when I was growing up. But um, of course, in, in the circles that I moved in as a as a as a young Christian, um, which were radically antinomian, um, that was always disparaged as oh, just it's just a preaching centre. Um, but of course, I now look back and realise, well, of course it was just a preaching centre because he was probably one of the few men in the town that were actually preaching the gospel, and it was full. It was very popular with the students of the time. Uh, who were interested in, in, in spiritual things. And um, I, again, I don't know what its current status is, but I would imagine that his ministry was long enough that his elders and so forth probably are Christian. And so if he is no longer there, I'd imagine they'll have called a Christian man to the pulpit. As you look at the situation there now, I know that as far as Chalcedon is concerned, um, the Dixon bookstore there sells a lot of reform materials, a lot of our materials. Um, do you see any real hope of a godly reformation? And if so, where, 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 where would it be? Yes, I do. And I say it from a number of reasons. First of all, as a confirmed post-millennialist, I believe that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Whether that will be in my lifetime, I don't know. However, I did hear recently an interesting statistic from a gentleman who, um, whose name I forget right now, who was a former pastor of St. George's West in Glasgow. He said that there are now, and if I get my, my numbers right, I think 500 evangelical ministers, Church of Scotland ministers in Scotland. That is an amazing statistic. Now, I don't know where these men are on a continuum in terms of, of really understanding reform theology and adhering closely to it, how closely they are they are tied to the confession and so forth. However, there is an increasing desire amongst young men to uh, get into the Church of Scotland and try and do something about it. It's declining uh, rapidly. Churches are closing all over the place. The big problem that I understand and, and from first-hand knowledge can see, is the fact that most of these evangelical pastors are going into churches, or ministers are going to churches, where the elders are not Christians. 
and where most of the people who attend the church are not born again. But it is the social club to go to. They are largely peopled by um, seniors. Uh, for instance, one pastor, one uh, Church of Scotland minister I knew, uh, conducted at least seven funerals a week mm. from his parish. Now, of course, m most most of the people who he was conducting funerals were were not were not members of his church. They were just happened to live in his parish area. But you have this enormous um, population of elderly people who are clinging on, most of whom have simply gone to church because that's what they've always done. Um, and when the young pastor comes in and wants to preach the gospel, then barriers are put in his way. Um, I was telling uh, Rush and Mark earlier the story um, told me of uh, a young uh, minister. He was just inducted into his church in North Berwick in Scotland. I believe it was. I believe his first Sunday there preaching um, as the minister, he uh, asked the elders to come into the vestry and, and they would process into the, into the church. And he said to them, he said, well, gentlemen, uh, before we go in, let's have a word of prayer. And the session clerk looked at him and said, well, minister, um, if you want to pray, you do that in your own time. This is church. Um, uh, almost uh, surreal uh, situation, um, but there we are. Perhaps that is, perhaps it's unfair to say that that is indicative of every, but it certainly is indicative of a great many and of the difficulties that the young men face. And so, in terms of thinking uh, to the future and thinking of a revival and thinking of a, a reformation again within the nation, it'll take a couple perhaps of generations of young men like this to seed in, to, to bring uh, the young people um, uh, to, to the faith and, and because most of the young people have left and joined the Charismatics or the Baptists. That's what I, the next thing I was going to ask. What about the Independents and the, and the Baptists and others? Uh... Well, uh, the Baptist Church is, is relatively strong in Scotland. Um, banner of Truth influence there, and I can't say what the Banner of Truth influence there is. I would imagine it's going to be fairly strong in certain areas, and certainly there they will be having a tremendous influence. I would imagine amongst those Evangelical Church of Scotland ministers, I would imagine they will be reading that that material, looking back over their shoulders at the giants who have um, populated the history of Church of Scotland. Um, uh, think of uh, Candlish and Cunningham, people like that. Uh, and uh, hopefully, by the grace of God, uh, imbibing and, and, uh, and then building on that which has gone before. In terms of the rest of it, there's a large charismatic population in Scotland, um, a large group of independent churches, um, and um, they are... Winning the, winning the hearts and the minds of the vast majority of young people who are looking for something other than dead formalism. And unfortunately, they find it in liveliness um, and uh, perhaps a gospel that is more rigorous in some of these churches than they would find, let's say, in the Church of Scotland. I noticed in Scotland just what you commented on, 
that many of the old Reformed churches, some there for generations, are now in charismatic hands. Has this led to any hope for a revival, or are they too beginning to drift? Well, unfortunately, um, most of the charismatic churches that I am aware of throughout the United Kingdom bought lock, stock, and barrel into the Toronto Blessing, the uh, Laughing Revival, and so forth. And even some of those churches that had formerly at least attempted to move in a more small r reformed way of what they might call dominion theology, um, seeking to move in a more post-millennial uh, uh, way, um, bought into the whole thing. And so I'm afraid that from all I can see, the majority of those churches have uh, little to offer in terms of genuine spiritual revival in terms of the nation. Um, it has become again a pietistic uh, Jesus and me gospel. Um, come to church, have a good time. Um, but again, because there is no social theory, there is no semblance of understanding of the wider implications of the gospel, they're headed for trouble. Let, let me get, illustrate this. I was planning on uh, coming over to uh, Florida to uh, study uh, theology, um, as you know, Rush, at your invitation. And I was speaking to the pastor of a church, and he was asking me, Quentin, why do you want to study theology in America? And I said to him, well, brother, because I have too many questions that I do not have answers for. He said, well, what kind of things? I said, well, things to do with social theory, with politics, as well as my theological questions. I want to know how the gospel interacts, what it's going to say to unemployment and to poverty and to business and so on. And he looked at me and said, but you won't find your answers in the Bible. And that is illustrative of the problem, I think. So coming back to your, your question, I do not hold out a lot of hope for those charismatic churches in the main. Now there are, I'm aware of, in England, one or two shining lights that are moving much more into reformed status, but not in Scotland. Quentin, as we continue, could you comment on the situation in Wales and in England? Those areas were both also, in the last century, strong areas of the faith. What is happening there? I can't comment specifically on Wales. My, I don't have too much intelligence of what's going on there, only generally. Let me, first of all, we'll deal with England. It has been said that England may well be Europe's first Muslim state. England is in deep trouble, religiously or spiritually. It has, as far as I can see, institutionally abandoned the faith. It was said once of the Church of England that it was the conservative party at prayer. It is no longer. Too many of the members of the conservative party who used to very publicly go to prayer 
have been found with their fingers in the till, as it were, in, in the uh, cash box, soliciting young boys for sex and other things. This has caused, I think, a tremendous uh, sense of disappointment, a, a sense that uh, the church is a fraud, and so people are abandoning the Church of England wholesale. Added to that, of course, are, are some very high-profile people. Uh, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Ramsey, uh, was famously said that uh, he was a man that would nail his flag firmly to the gatepost. He wouldn't put it on either side of the fence because he always would want to wait to see what way people were traveling before he would uh, go with them. We have... Uh, a, a, a church that has, to all intents and purposes, lost its way. Even the current Archbishop of Canterbury, who everybody thought was going to be this tremendous um, evangelical, has proven to be a tremendous disappointment to most people. Um, very social gospel orientated. Um, again, very uh, socialistic in his views, very mechanistic and environmentalistic in his view of sin and the problems of society. And then added to all that, you have the growing economic force in Britain, which of course is the Muslims. Uh, the uh, Islam is growing by leaps and bounds, making significant gains amongst um, Englishmen, um, especially amongst, uh, amazingly, even English women. I've been stunned by the number of English women I've seen married to um, um, Muslim men, uh, clearly not understanding the religion they're getting involved in. Um, but this is this is proving to be a real problem. Uh, we now have a Muslim court, a Muslim parliament, which acts as a shadow parliament to all intents and purposes in Britain, or at least it did used to. I I am assuming it is still functioning. Um, and so we have this growing economic and thus religious uh, base um, of the Muslim faith in, in England. So England is in trouble uh, to its roots in terms of its faith. Quentin, in your estimation, how can we, as dedicated Christians, applying the faith to all of life, Christian reconstructionists, people who think basically in Chalcedon's terms, how can we long-term combat these particular problems? What, what do you think our strategy should be? It has to be publish and educate. It has to be get our materials, get the, the reformed materials, get Chalcedon's materials into the hands of as many people as possible. We have to win the debates in the university. We have Absolutely. to get young people, young men who are applying for the ministry to read, to understand and we have to win the arguments there. But we must get our materials into the hands of Christian parents. Somehow we must, I think, the challenge for us certainly at Church of Christian Liberty and Christian Liberty Academy is to bring the Reformed faith and our distinctives in terms of reconstruction or theonomy or however you like to define these things, I prefer just to call it biblical faith, to bring these things down to a point where our youngsters 
grow with this with these concepts with that biblical world and life view all the way through so from their if you like their first reading material onwards these presuppositions are presented to them and so they grow in terms of that so in england we have to get our materials out there we mentioned dixon books in edinburgh a tremendously uh, good bookseller a shining light in a, a, a very dark uh, area um, we need to find others we need to encourage those of our supporters to uh, be active in, in, in promoting our materials um, Dr. Rushdoony's writings um, Carl Seedon report and so forth because it's only as people read and are educated I mean obviously it goes without saying that we must pray we must uh, uh, seek to uh, you know, share the gospel in, in every way, but in terms of our distinctives, the answer is we have to uh, win the arguments at universities and have people read at home. How is the homeschooling movement, the Christian school movement, and so forth, going in England and Scotland? In Scotland, the Christian school movement is not doing well. There are very few Christian schools. However, in Scotland, as opposed to England, unless things have changed since I have left, and as I say, I've been largely out of the country for six and a half years, the, it is easier to homeschool in Scotland than it is in England because the law is different. In Scotland, uh, the onus is upon the parents to educate their children. In England, it's upon the states to educate their children. Um, therefore, the, it is more possible to, I think, recruit homeschoolers in Scotland than in England. But the big problem is this. British culture is infused with statism and welfareism. And it's very difficult to get people to think outside of the box. When they think of education, they think of their local school. Now, most British schools do not have the, are not perceived to be, anyway, the same battlefields as American public schools are. Things are quieter. The arguments are, 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 are more academic. Um, and so when you talk to the average parent about, say, secular humanism, they'll look at you as if you're an idiot and say, well, but they pray in my school. Mm. But we have assembly in my school. The teacher goes to my church. But they don't understand that curricu the curriculum is infused with secular humanistic right. philosophy. And that's the argument that has to be won at that level. I personally, when I was in Edinburgh, my wife and I attended a seminar which convinced us um, of the need for Christian education. And we started reading. And my wife and I came to a conclusion one day. We said um, our son was um, still young, I think uh, age uh, one and a half or two. We agreed together that we would never put him in a public school. Amen. That it would be our determination. How we were going to do this, we had no idea. We didn't even know of a Christian school in Scotland at the time. Uh, we had never heard of homeschooling. But we determined that somehow we would educate him using Christian presuppositions. I'm not sure we even understood what they were, but we, we were determined biblically this was our responsibility. Well, in time, as pastoring a church or helping pastor a church, we started our own little school. However, we never won 
philosophically the arguments. People brought the ch their children to school because that's what the church culture became. The church culture became, will you bring your kids to our school? So we had school. When we left, we no longer could influence those things in terms of the, the philosophy and, and trying to win that philosophical and theological battle. As a consequence, that school now is failing. Um, and this sadly is a problem throughout the United Kingdom. Uh, there are a number of Christian schools, but they're Christian schools because they like the idea of a better education, smaller classes. Um, but they're not because of a radical world and life view in terms of um, standing for biblical Christianity as opposed to secular humanism. So are you implying the battle really can't be won or waged within the present church, that it's got to be, well, in independent churches or outside that? Is, is that is that a correlate of what you're saying? or? Um in in the US there's a, there's an old saying you can't fight city hall. Yeah. You can't fight the government when it's opposed to you. Are you saying that you can't fight the church of England because it's the established church and there's just too much there? Is that is that battle not winnable? I think in general senses I would agree with that. The problem we have is that we have, or, or, or as I perceive it, is that the Church of England, like the Church of Scotland, has moved so far away from its biblically orthodox roots. In fact, in the Church of England, as opposed to the Church of Scotland, there are many full-blown charismatic churches doing everything else charismatic churches do, except they do it with robes and incense. But I mean the. It's, it's, it's done. Um, Holy Trinity Brompton is a classic example. Um, so no, I, I, I unfortunately, I, I, I guess it's like all things, it has to be both and. We have to win the battles in the seminaries and the universities. We have to win, get these young men who are being called to the ministry to um, commit themselves to biblical inerrancy, to uh, a profoundly radical biblical faith. Some will have to go into the Church of England, but I think probably we need a new force. We need to raise up new churches. Um, I think they will be the ones to carry it forward. Do you think the the uh, what? apostasy or the liberalism or, or whatever you want to adjective you want to put on the problems there in the institutional church do you think that uh, they're such that um, I lost my train of thought here oh sorry um, how effective do you think that is that what you're getting at, Mark? How effective uh, something outside the church can be? Or I lost it. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> it happens to me about three times a week. So what you're saying, Quentin, is we need to take a both-and approach. Mm -hmm. Both within the churches, there need to be people that are 
dedicated to the faith, but also independent churches outside the... I, I think so. I, I mean, I, th I think we have to reach in, in, in both levels. There was a number of years ago where I had great hopes for many of the charismatic churches, for instance. Um, they seemed to be, many of them, searching for a truly authentic understanding of scripture. And as a consequence, many of them were becoming less and less charismatic. Um, and for a while there in the, um, well, I guess mid-90s, there seemed to be a, a division taking place. You had, in the, in the charismatic church, you had those going back to old-time Pentecostalism and those going forward into a more reformed understanding of the faith. Unfortunately, most of those that were becoming reformed have detoured into um, accepting very largely uncritically the laughing revival and so forth. Now, I'm not sure for, for, for those how long that will take them to realize just what a, 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 um, a dreadful um, scenario uh, that they've bought into. I mean, really the Trojan horse that they've brought into their church. I am hopeful that they will soon get back on the path they were. I know some of these men, and, and I can hardly believe that they have, they, they have gone the way they've gone. Um, but of course, one of the problems with charismaticism, having, and I speak as having been one for many years, is what I call the free radicals that still float around inside you, that um, you can be going along and buying into it and, and practicing good reform theology, and then suddenly, bang, from left field, this, this idea comes, it's non-scriptural, and it just overtakes you. And for instance, I've got charismatic friends who see nothing wrong with educating the children in public schools. I've asked actually one of them to write a biblical defense of it and have it published and see if he can actually make it, make any sense of it. Well, I've heard nothing back, and I suppose I ever will. But it's this free radical thing that just seems to come in. And until I think they ultimately move away from that and um, take a sola scriptura position, um, I don't hold out as much hope as I once did for them. So we're back to education, uh, raising up a new generation of men who will um, start rebuilding, either independently or within Baptist or independent churches, uh, within um, broadly evangelical churches, um, and some within the, um, the Church of England. And, and again, I, I want to be real careful here. There are some fantastically brilliant shining lights within the Church of England um, and within the Church of Scotland. Uh, men who are, are really are doing their best, but from what I know, they're doing their best against all the odds, and how they survive uh, is, certainly in the Church of Scotland, it is amazing. In the Church of England, of course, once a vicar has, be, has, has got his living, as they call it, has actually been installed in his, uh, in his church, um, almost nothing can remove him from it. So once he's there, he's there for life, and that's why they, uh, they, they can get away with some pretty weird and wonderful behaviors. But having said that, if we can get good men into these parsonages and vicarages, then maybe we'll see some change also. What I was starting to get at but, uh, was, is part of the problem the fact that 
because there's an, an established church, that the definition of Christianity has basically been all-inclusive and that when you have a narrow view that Scripture says this and Scripture is not you know, the spirit of the age or political correctness or a feel-good, really, it, it can't include everything mm-hmm. that you're seeing as, as too narrow-minded to really be comprehended within this popular view of what a Christian should think or the church should include, is the whole con- definition of Christianity lost because of the problems in, in the church? Well, again, thinking of the Church of England, I think the establishment of the Church of England is a major problem to its growth. The Prime Minister of the country recommends uh, to the Queen who the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury should be. And so uh, with that continuing what used to be called lay investiture, um, it's very difficult to get men who really are radically committed to the gospel. I mean, if you you may remember in the news, uh, the Bishop of Durham a number of years ago was installed. Uh, when he was installed, I believe it was the day after, or, was it, or shortly, sometime of his installation, the cathedral that he was being installed in was hit by lightning. And everybody was concerned whether this was the wrath of God or not. <laughs> this is a man who denied the virgin birth, uh, the physical resurrection, and so forth. Um, so the established church is a problem. There's no mm-hmm. question about it. Um, it too closely identifies itself with the political system. And the political system is bankrupt. People see that. People see its bankruptcy, its patent. Um, and although people have been in, have, 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 have bought into this w- socialistic welfare mentality, nevertheless they are beginning to see, I think, that government does not have all the answers. And if government doesn't have the answers, then neither will the Church of England have all the answers because they're, they're so established. Now, of course, with um, Prince Charles, whose um, 50th birthday, I believe it is today, um, if he becomes king, which um, I can't think, speaking as one who used to be a very proud monarchist, um, but I'm no longer um, in any way, shape, or form a monarchist, um, but uh, I can only imagine this will be a, a disaster for the nation, but maybe good for the Church of England, because probably they'll excommunicate him, or they will just go down in flames. Um, and if they ex- and if they excommunicate him, that would uh, probably send such a wonderful uh, message to the nation uh, that the Church of England might possibly come out of this alive. Could you, having as you do your um, your experience uh, in the United Kingdom and established churches and the problems there, American churches have their own problem, more of a, an anarchistic thing. Let's start our own denomination and going off into a quirky idiosyncrasy. Um, can you give us your synopsis? Um, as uh, coming into the United States of Christianity in America and how it differs and how its problems are different and our heresies are different than your <laughs> heresies. <laughs> right. A comparison of heresies here, that's what we want. Um, 
Well, boy, I, I, I hardly feel qualified. Um, Just some of your impressions. I, I, I think, generally, American is a consummate consumer state. And American Christians have bought into consumerism. Therefore, there's a tremendous pressure upon pastors to provide a product that will satisfy that consumer purchasing mentality. We have purchasers, customers, not worshippers, in too many churches. The, well, that's probably, the, in a synopsis, the easiest thing to say. Good analysis. Our time is just about up. <clears throat> I think in the next session we'll go on uh, with a discussion of this sort of thing more specifically. But uh, for the present, thank you, Quentin, for your very thoughtful and telling account of the status of Christianity in Britain. God bless you all for listening and prosper you day by day as you serve him.